old men went to the women and the women came to me and said, no, nah, Wilmada, stop the rain. I went, oh, uh, I'm, I'm a white um, person from nowhere land that doesn't know how to do that. There's no instruction manual that came with that, no. And they went, like, get over yourself, stop the rain. We need to have this football match complete. So I just sort of, you know, disappeared up a hill and in my best, you know, language, Yolamamata, I spoke to the rain and it was my first experience of, I just had to do it. I couldn't be too silly about it. I just had to be respectful and reverent and give it a red hot go. Yeah. That was the weirdest experience because honestly, within 30 seconds after that, the clouds actually separated and they became the, you know, the white fluffy, they're still clouds, but they weren't so dark and they just sort of moved away. And then obviously the next Saturday, it bucketed and bucketed and bucketed and poured and poured and poured. Like, cause I've had a couple of experiences post that, like even a couple of weeks ago, we had a, I had a big party and it was rain. It looked like, well, it was sort of drizzling and was like, Oh no, no, we can't have rain at this party. Cause this is an outdoor party. Sorry. And I just, you know, my husband who's, you know, merging into this world now. Yeah. He's got, he's got no, he's got no chance, you know, like <laughs> he has to. Yeah. Well, that's sort of how I had to do it. You just got to watch it and see it work. I said, oh, look, excuse me for a minute. I'll just stop, you know, helping set up everything. And I'm just going to have a talk to the rain. And I just said, look, you know, do you mind coming next week? It was the same sort of conversation. And it did. Yeah. So, oh, right. And he was like, okay, right. So he goes to work and he goes, my wife can talk to the right. <laughs> <laughs> you got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? (laughs) Welcome. Welcome to Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. So great to be with you again. Well, have I got a treat for you today. I'm going to introduce you to the gorgeous Penny Short, who's been an energy practitioner for over 15 years. Penny has enjoyed a full-time practice in Sydney, just up the road from me. And she was a preschool teacher for many years until she had a life-changing experience in 1996. She felt a strong pull to go and live in a remote Aboriginal community in northeast Arnhem Land in the Northern Territory. And there for about two years, she worked as a teacher and a student in their community, living and working with Aboriginal families, eating their food and learning their culture and their language and their dance. This extraordinary experience opened her eyes up to the reality of the metaphysical and the true meaning of living a spiritual life, which we'll talk about. She eventually returned to Sydney, and I think it was around that time I met you, right, Mm. to study more energy healing. And after a few years of study, she put some of these uh, principles into practice when she was working full-time as a carer with the homeless and people living in squalor. That was like when we were Uh living together as flatmates. (laughs) which we'll go into. Anyway, she eventually, um, using space clearing techniques, I remember her coming home and telling me the places that she used to go into and she'd be saying, 
I'm, you know, using all these amazing space clearing techniques and putting some of these spiritual principles into practice and having compassionate conversations with these people. And she was mm. able to bring many of her clients to, uh, you know, a more fulfilling way of life. And also some of the old men who were quite old and sick and living in mm. squalor, they were terrified of dying. Mm talk to them about death and how there's no death and you know you helped so many people transition during that time mm. oh, that's gonna make me cry <laughs> anyway <laughs> inspired by her experiences penny continues to start continue to study with a wide range of teachers and different traditions and philosophy she mm. now shares these ideologies and practices mm. and principles with her sessions she does workshops mm. here in sydney energy workshops and continues to be inspired by people's journeys welcome to the show <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you dear karen oh so great to have you on the show so it's lovely to be here Oh, I know we've known each other for forever. It feels like forever, but yeah. uh, we haven't seen each other for a long time, and we bump into each other every now and then. And then I'm up in the supermarket. I've been thinking about Penny for a while because I do look for Aussies to talk to on the show that are pretty inspiring, and there's many of them. But I, I do tend to find a lot of Americans. But I was thinking, I was thinking Penny, 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 and then we're in the supermarket the other day, and I see this woman throw her hands up in the air. <laughs> In the, distance, in the distance and shit and I'm like she's obviously been thinking about me <laughs> and so she's like she's thought about me and I've turned up and vice versa so don't you love the way the universe works L listen so what happened to you in 1996 well rewinding about 10 years prior um it kind of started when I was 17 one day I was on a family holiday in Umea and we were just literally walking down the street and all my, you know, as a 17, obnoxious 17 year old, you'd like to walk away from your family because they're just so daggy and you're so cool. But all of a sudden my field of view changed and I didn't see my family walking in front of me. I actually felt myself taller and I was walking on red dirt surrounded by really bright green foliage, um, blue sky and tall thin black people mm. and this vision lasted for probably 30 seconds to a minute so not very long but it was profound because i was actually walking in this experience and then it all just sort of faded away and then i walked back to the normal i was continuing walking in the normal environment and i ran up to mom and i said mom i just had this weird thing happen and she said oh i think you're a bit dehydrated have a have a drink I think. Okay, right yeah. no worries. And then I just left it. And then 10 years later, I was teaching, very happy, all good. And then I just had this overwhelming feeling, it's time to go and time to go to this place. And I couldn't find it. So I applied for jobs. I was a teacher at the time. I applied for jobs in Vanuatu, anywhere they had black people. Mm. I just had to be there, but I didn't know where it was. And so, um, you know, Vanuatu, Fiji, Arnhem Land, Alice Springs, everywhere, nothing, 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 nothing. And then one day, uh, and I sort of had not given up, but I, I didn't know what else to do. And one day I just went to a party, you know, as you do, you just go to a party, mm -hmm. chatting away, in walks this man in the front door and it felt like the whole party just became silent. Clearly it didn't, but yeah. for me it felt like this party became silent. And I ran up to this man and I said, where have you come from? And he said, Canberra. And I went, oh, no, uh, right. That's not what I was thinking I was going to hear. So white, white man, man, white man, black man. man. 
What, what then? Yeah, big, big head, big beard. Big, yeah, but all, but all, but all. And I didn't know him. Yeah. Poor man thought I was this crazy, you know, crazy woman. Anyway, ad- um, an addendum to that story, he ended up marrying my cousin, which was wonderful. He's a lovely man. And I said, where have you just come from? Because you've got, you've, you've got an energy around you. And you could said, smell it on him, couldn't you? You could oh, feel it. Gosh, I could feel He's it. He's been to my place. My belonging place. And yeah. so he said, um, I was in Gapawiak in northeast Arnhem Land and I just burst into tears and I just went, oh, tell me, please tell me all about it. And then he, we just sat in the corner of this party and he was just talking to me and I was just crying and crying and crying, excited but crying, excited but crying. And I said, can you help me get there? He said, yeah, sure. And then like shortly after that, I was there and I, you have to, because it's so remote, you have to charter a plane to get in there. So wow. here am I in this tiny little, you know, enlarged mosquito. And the pilot said to me, you know, being a white woman with my sensible clothes on, he said, you're not going to get my clothes. And I was all dressed up to meet the Aboriginal people. I was so excited. My clean clothes and hair. And, and he said, you know, you're not going to last, kiddo. You're going to be there a week and I'm going to have to come and get you. You have no idea what you're in for. And I said, oh, well, I don't mind because I know I need to be there. I was being so pretty and girly. It was hilarious. Anyway, um, he landed the plane and I realised what he was talking about because the mosquitoes were like low-flying aircraft. <gasps> the heat was, imp- you couldn't breathe. It was like sitting in an oven. You couldn't actually breathe in or breathe out. And it was, it, it was exactly what I saw in my vision. Wow. Exactly. Like right down to the trees, the depth of red in the earth. And I knew I was there. And then, and then it sort of all went from there, all the, all the interesting stories. And then that was, that was the start of the pull to go there. And then I really, and I didn't understand why, like people saying, why are you going there? What, why? You're a Sydney girl. What's the attraction? And I just went, I just know I need to be there. And I don't know why I can't give you an answer. And, um, you know, everybody was against it except for my grandfather. He was like, good on you, you know, go and do something different, love. Good on you, love. Good on you, love. <laughs> anyway, I did. And, and that was when I sort of, about six months in, I got to realise why I was there. And so why were you there? To learn. To learn what? It, to learn metaphysics, to learn spirituality, to learn a way of being, to learn how to truly speak to nature. Mm. how to that the that the realms do exist dimensionality does exist um to see it in in everyday life and for them to say to me you know run home i need to speak to this man here and i'm thinking what man where sorry i i can't see anyone and they're going you know the men who died the other day i need to speak to them so they'll be you know run home be okay and then they're having a full conversation out loud with these deceased people and so I'd sort of realise, and the way the Aboriginal people would look at me, that I, they would reach into me and I could feel, and it was very exposing. Yeah. So you couldn't hide a thing. They'd yeah. just look in, you'd feel them going in, you'd feel them coming out and then knowing everything. So you think, you know, all right, can't get away with a thing. But also the way, like we'd go hunting, because obviously we still hunted for our food. So I had a truck and I'd drive for, you know, five, ten hours on corrugated or no road. 
was either yeah. coast or Dirt. no road, but bush bashing just across. But the way they would follow their song, and I didn't know what song lines were, like what, what's that? But it's actually the story of the song as it unfolds through the, like reading a book, the chapters of the book. And then all of a sudden after five hours with no road and we're just bush bashing across no, nothing land, we come out to the buffalo territory where all the buffaloes are and we, you know, sorry to the vegetarians, but we, you know, get a buffalo and we eat the buffalo and well, we eat the kangaroo, but they know where these lands are. They know. Look, let me ask you, when you stepped off that plane and met this, you know, group, tribe, family of Indigenous, did they recognise you? They don't give much away. Yeah. That's, see, I'm animated and I'm like, hi, <laughs> hi. How and they're you? just like, yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. Nothing. Yeah. But, and they didn't, basically, they didn't talk to me for six months. <gasps> and, I'm, really? and I'm like, oh, but they'd interact. But, you know, I'd just go, hello, and there was nothing. But what they were doing, they were. They were watching me. They were feeling me. They were acknowledging my authenticity and how you, I had to earn my stripes, yeah. really. I had to turn up to all the ceremonies. They call them bungles, which is, you know, the old-fashioned word is like a corroboree, but we called it a bungle, but a death ceremony or a darpy, which was a circumcision ceremony for the young boys or a or a baby ceremony or a woman ceremony. I had to just keep turning up, even though I had no idea what I was turning up to yeah. and what the protocol was. I turned up until I was given my name. And then when I was given my name and that was the ceremony and then I was in, I was in the group and I had to really be present and I learned how to listen and watch. Mm. And here am I teacher from Sydney thinking I'm going to teach these kids all these things. Well, I had to learn how to teach because my old teaching way that I'd been doing for a long time didn't work. No. So I had to come in and I go, oh, well, the, you know, the white Anglo-Saxon way is actually a pretty crap way because yeah. it's not really engaging with all the, the bigness of who these people are and what drives them. And I would imagine that they're predominantly communicating, not, not all Aboriginals, but many, Communicating telepathically. Oh, a lot, a lot, yeah. a lot, so a lot, a lot. What we perceive as maybe rude and don't speak and not animated is like they're, you know, they're receiving and yep. they're like they're yep. kind of like the ETs, you know, like they're. Well, a beautiful story with talk about telepathic communication. When I was up there, I was only up there for, I think it was the first term. <clears throat> so I, I'd, I'd got my name. So my name was Wilminda Guyala. Say that again. Wilminda Guyala. Wilminda Guyala. Yeah. Got to do it with an accent. I don't oh, think you got to do it with a bit of a thing. It took me yeah. ages to learn that one. Yeah. And, but when I was up there, my grandfather died. Right. And I was completely gutted. Okay. Really, really sad. But what the funerals up there are really different so we sit in a church on our bottom and we listen to people speak and we yeah. have a dribble down here and then we have a sandwich and then we're done yeah. where over there it can take two weeks and there's lots of screaming and falling over and bashing your head with a tin and you know slitting your ankles with rocks and throwing yourself all over the place for weeks at a time 
and then getting leaves and you know it's the whole thing so but he died and there was a, a day before I could actually charter a plane to get out of there and in the morning that I had chartered the plane these women who lived in an outstation which means that they would have walked for about six to eight hours these old women were at the airstrip to give me all the things I needed which was a a, a tin with all the rocks to bash my head and slit my ankles oh. in Sydney because I was going to Sydney for the funeral. Yeah. So they were up there showing their condolences and acknowledging how much I loved my grandfather without saying much. They just stood there like these rocks at the airstrip where before the plane came in to take off. And that means that but it was, there was no CB. I hadn't told anybody. I, they, they just knew. They, they knew. They were they, probably having a chat to your grandfather. Oh, you're Penny's grandfather. All right, we'll go and look after her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, no, there's no way. There was no CB because we had CB radio back then. There was no CB out there. There was nothing. So it was completely telepathic. Yeah. What they, and they knew me because they would watch me and feel me, even though I was so two-dimensional and not aware that they were doing that. Then it, it clicked in how this was working. Even though they weren't speaking, there was so much going on in the airwaves. Yeah. And I felt so privileged. Ooh. Oh, my gosh, so privileged to be there. You know, it's such a different, so, so different. It's so, as you say, you can't even imagine it. Like, I've not even been there, but I've been to Outback Australia and I've felt the heat and I've, the flies and I, I kind of get a sense of it, but I haven't been there or in that community. I can't even imagine it, but I can try. But it's so different to our Western civil. It's so different on so many levels. <laughs> it's so harsh and so rough and so dirty and dusty and, you know, all the niceties of having a shower in the morning and a nice clean. It's just, no, oh, no, no, no. Well, the, the funniest thing was <clears throat> the, the, I, I got, because I was adopted by this girl, um, Jaipala, and I said, oh, come for dinner. Oh, silly me. I'm so, I was just so unaware. So I cooked this rice dish with, you know, lots of lovely veggies and because we have to get a plain drop of food so I, I got a plain drop of food enough for myself and to host for you know my sister and her family and they turned up well I had set the table with knives and forks <laughs> on chairs like what was I thinking and they turned up and they didn't sort of like oh right okay sort of I'll sit on this chair and they looked at the food and it was rice and vegetables and they went muck and like which means stupid and I'm like, oh, like, have I burnt it? You know, because I'm pretty good at burning stuff. <laughs> oh, right. No. And they just went out and they walked out. And I went, oh, right. No, no, thank you. All this politeness that we carry on with. Yeah. And I didn't really get it until they said, come to, come to our wanga, our house, and, you know, basically come for dinner with us, which was not my understanding. Anyway, so I turned up for, di for dinner at their place all very, you know, fresh and nice with all my mosquito repellent on because you've got to put that on all the time. And I sit down on the dirt around a fire and they throw me a dead bird that I had to pluck myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> Clearly I was on the wrong page when I said come for dinner. 
Um, back then I was not hungry, but I had to pluck this bird and then throw it back on the fire and heat it and then pull off bits that I was eating really slowly. No wonder I came back a bit sick. It's so different. All right. Okay. So, so you and I were flatmates together, like after you came back and you were doing, you're working uh, as a carer and, and you know, I've often spoken about you on the show. Like, oh, I used to live with this, you know, healer who was so Crazy psychic. Girl. <laughs> no, psychic. So, like, your psyche, your in, your, you know, your third eye was so open, so psychic. So, did that kick in when you were living with? But, or were you already psychic like that as a kid? Look, I, I sort of think I was psychic as a kid, but I didn't yeah. know what it was. Yeah. Because I'd say to mum, mum, that. I had this dream, the house is going to burn down and clearly it didn't. But what happened was, you know, dad left and all that kind of stuff. So I, I dreamt in representations for things, but no, I was a pretty quiet, shy little thing. I, I didn't have a reference point to what I was seeing and feeling. I did, I did have a lot of nightmares at nighttime, but I was awake having the nightmare they were called nightmares, but I was actually seeing beings, I think, come to my window. Right. But I didn't know what it was. Mm. So it was just termed nightmares. But it's like, no, now I realise it was more interactive. Even though you took yourself off to Arnhem Land, sort of completely entrenched in your conditioned world, the conditioned Western world, those abilities must have so helped you with that community, those psychic abilities, the ability to interpret energy, you know, how did that play out for you? Well, I probably even wasn't aware of it until re- in retrospect. Right. So in there, I, I, all I know is I get pulled to do things and I yeah. have to follow it. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. It yeah. does not make sense. But like one day I'd say, I have to go into town. Well, town was not just like, oh, get in the car and drive into town. Going into town was four hours across three rivers and you get chased by buffaloes and you have to check the river for crocodiles before you actually cross the river. Yeah. And then when the cyclone comes, the logs fly across and you fishtail for, you know, that's going into town. Yeah. But I, I had to, I got pulled, even though the cyclone was coming, I had to go into town and people were like, oh, we'll call us when you're in there and don't get washed down by the flash flood. And like, oh, okay, righto. But in that time that I was caught in a cyclone, clearly. But I needed that experience to then reconnect with my grandfather who I felt. And that was when I started to go, I can, cause I was freaking out in, you know, I don't know if you've ever driven through a cyclone on mud uh-uh. track uh-huh. with logs flying through. It was like some psychic weird experience, but I, I called in my grandfather who was a really good driver and I, cause he was dead by then. Yeah. Please help me. And I could feel him come into the car and I was like, right. Ah, oh. So those kind of weird experiences were happening in my, just, I needed to be distressed to call on help. Okay. And I got validation of the help. And because the you're so staunchly independent, like I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And they're saying, let me help you, let me help you, let me help you. Let's put her in a cyclone. Then she might cry out for help. <laughs> That's right. Oh, fabulous. So, Share with us the part where they said to you, because you're a tall, lanky blonde with sort of freckles, when they kind of told you about who you are, because they clearly saw, you know, you were clearly following this dovetailing with a other life. I won't call it a past life. Could be a future yeah. life, but it's an other life. 
yeah. where you were leading a life as a black Aboriginal person, probably a healer. Yeah. And you were feeling that, you know, bleed through that connection and, and lessons mm-hmm. were to be learned in this life from that, from that life and that community. And that, they clearly saw that in you, I think. Yeah. I think they did. Yeah. Going back to what you're saying, you know, did they talk to you about it? No, but they watched very intently. They were constantly watching me, which I thought was a bit creepy initially. Mm. But they used to, when I first arrived before I got my name, they called me dot dot because I'm freckly. Like <laughs> my arms are really freckly, legs are freckly. And because you're wearing like, because you had to wear skirts, you couldn't wear shorts because of the mm. respect. Right. So you can show your boobs, but you can't show your legs, which is, Anyway, interesting. Uh, okay. So I'm there with, you know, sandals on my feet and I've got freckles right down to my feet. And so in a classroom, they'd be sitting at my feet and going, pressing all my dot, 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 dots. They'd call me dot, 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 dot. And then when there was a ceremony where I was transfixed in a particular ceremony and it started to rain and I didn't know that it was raining. I know that sounds silly, but I was so transfixed. And so my name became woman in the rain so I pulled in my own totem that's how it works you watch 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 until you pull in your totem and you indicate to everyone what your totem is so then I was given the name woman in the rain keeper of the lightning rod which was like this being this three-legged being with a long pole and you you hold the pole together to create lightning and I'm like oh I was a bit disappointed because I sort of wanted to be, you know, queen of the dolphins or something magical. But I was rain, good old whoopie doo rain, super duper. Until one day they had a, a football, which was not our kind of football, but, you know, running around in shorts and socks on a dust bowl with two big tree trunks as the, you know, goalposts. But it was a serious game. And the thunderclouds started to come. And you couldn't, this game had to happen. And so they, the old, the old men went to the women and the women came to me and said, no, nah, we'll just stop the rain. I went, oh, uh, I'm, I'm a white um, person from nowhere land that doesn't know how to do that. There's no instruction manual that came with that. No. And they went like, get over yourself, stop the rain. We need to have this football match complete and there's like cumulus they didn't say cumulonimbus but I knew that there was the big thundercloud and it was rain gonna rain any second and I'm like oh so like everybody was there so I just sort of you know disappeared up a hill and in my best you know language I spoke to the rain and it was my first experience of I just had to do it I couldn't be too silly about it I just had to be respectful and reverent and give it a red hot go. Yeah. Say, okay, I know your name's Wilma. Not pronounced like that. That's um, the cloud. There's the cloud. The rain. Mm. Rain. But I'm Wilminda, but it's Wilma is the rain. Right. So Wilma, thanks very much for coming. I, I really appreciate it. It's, you know, thank you. Mind muck, mind muck. Um, but can you come back next week? We've got to do some things here. I'd love you to be here, but next week. Anyway. That was the weirdest experience because honestly, within 30 seconds after that, the clouds actually separated and they became the, you know, the white fluffy, they're still clouds, but they weren't so dark and they just sort of moved away. And then obviously the next Saturday, it bucketed and bucketed and bucketed and poured and poured and poured. Because, you, you know, they, <clears throat> they need the rain. They so need the rain out there. But let me ask you, 
What were you feeling when you were talking to the clouds? I was feeling for the first time I was allowed to be who I really wanted to be. <sighs> so what did they say to you after that? Nothing. Like, who you are? Well, you told me that they told, they told you that, um, that you used to do that in your like. In your... Oh, later on they did. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What did they say to you? Yes. Um, well, they said that I'd probably been there before with them before. And that was probably my job. Probably. No, probably is about it. <laughs> no, probably is about it. But it's all, it's a language, it's a translation thing because they spoke to me and you're like that. So it, we have so many more words. They, oh yes, you know, mind muck, you know, maybe one life, you know, you do this and, and I said, have I been with you before? Yeah. And they just smiled and went, well, you know, of course. But yeah. they just smiled and nodded and, yeah. Like you don't know that? Don't you yeah. Know? Like, you know, you, haven't, you haven't figured that out yet? Yeah. Do <laughs> I need to I, tell you? <laughs> no. That, that's exactly right. Because yeah. I just, I knew my way around. Yeah. I knew things. I could absolutely feel the connection. And so they, you know, obviously acknowledged that I was, but, and that was the dot, dot, you know, between two lives. I wasn't Aboriginal, but I wasn't fully white either. Yeah. So I was the bridge between the, you know, the both, not necessarily the bridge. The bridge, but. yeah. I remember when we were living together, you said to me, you know, the Aboriginals told me I'm freckly because I couldn't decide whether to be yeah. a, white, a white man or a black fella. That's it. So now I'm both black and white. Now I'm both. Easy. <laughs> I I'll can just channel in, you know, whichever I want. I'll never forget that. That was okay. hilarious. So you come down from the mountain, you've stopped the rain. Were you thinking, wow, <laughs> I can stop the rain? Yes, I was. I, I just kept looking at the sky going, no way, no way, no way. Oh, my God. Um, but the, the clincher was when it rained the next day and that's when they just acknowledged what I'd done. Yeah. Very quietly, but they just went, you know, look at that. Woolman, look. And I, I saw it pouring and they went, oh, this is what I love about the Indigenous culture that white men predominantly don't get, this interaction, this communication with yes. nature, that you can talk to nature like a person because she is and yeah. ask her to do things, that you, ha you don't have control but you have a relationship and like I have a relationship with you, I can ask you to do something and you can say yes or no. Yes. Yeah, and well, that she can too, nature. Even, even like, because I've had a couple of experiences post that. Like even a couple of weeks ago, we had a, I had a big party and it was rain. It looked like, well, it was sort of drizzling and was like, oh, no, no, we can't have rain at this party because this is an outdoor party. Sorry. And I just, you know, my husband who's, you know, merging into this world now yeah he's got he's got no he's got no chance you know like <laughs> he has to yeah well, that's sort of how I had to do it you just got to watch it and see it work I said oh look excuse me for a minute I'll just stop you know helping set up everything and I'm just going to have a talk to the rain and I just said look you know do you mind coming next week it was the same sort of conversation and it did yeah all oh, right and he was like okay right so he goes to work and he goes my wife can talk to the rain <laughs> <laughs> and I've done that with the dad, with my dad too when he planted a vineyard and I said, look, 
and it'd been barren where his farm was, barren, 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 no rain. And then I went round and I spoke to the rain. I said, can we just have the appropriate rain for these saplings? And I stepped off the paddock and onto the veranda and it just, there was this light mist. And I said, oh, sorry, Dad, it wasn't a pretty good rain, was it? And he said, he was crying and goes, that's perfect for these saplings. And I still freak myself out. Like, it's still weird. But it's not so odd now. It's like we just don't do it enough. Yeah. We don't realise that there's a, there's a relationship. We don't get it. No. But what's really interesting, you know, <clears throat> when there's wild weather, the weather is a um, combination of the collective mood. Do you know what I mean? Like the collective mood, the dominant. And, and we think we're uh, a victim to the weather, like, oh, it's raining, I wish it wasn't raining, or, oh, it's too hot, I wish it wasn't. Like we think we're, but yet we're creating it. We're in a yeah. relationship with it. We are. It, it, yeah, it's really interesting. We're in a relationship with everything, you know, we're creating all of it. We actually are. Mm. And it took me a long time to really understand what that meant because I thought, oh, that's a bit silly. But then I was also drawn to like the, the works of Eileen Caddy and all that when she set up her vegetable garden in Scotland in Finhorn and all the creation of that and the, yeah. the natural conversation with divas every single day she was in communion with the divas who created the vegetables in her barren landscape garden. So we, we just don't learn about this in daily life. Absolutely. Except that when you come to your courses and you teach it, right? Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So we're going to walk it, but yeah. Back in Arnhem land. Yes. Um, having all these experiences, anything else profound happened? Like you obviously were learning about about this relationship, not just with nature, but with other dimensions, like mm. they're chatting away to their dead relatives or whatever, or like yeah. sitting around the fire talking, just talking to Uncle Bob here sitting next to me. And you're sort of seeing all this like, wow, this is cool. Well, there was one, because they were really strict, they were very traditional um, to yeah. the point that people from overseas would come into our community just for, you know, overnight to experience the depth of authenticity of our people. Right. Our people. Um, and there was a, a, f a particular funeral for an old, a very revered older man. And they built, because it wasn't, some would do the Christian ceremonies and some because there were missionaries up there. And they built this big, like, house of sticks, like Three Little Pigs' house of sticks. And they told me, because when I first arrived there, they said to me, if you go into men's territory, we will spear, because they still had spears and we will spear you. Oh, thanks very much for telling me. Great. And so where's men's territory? Just so I know. <laughs> so I won't go there and be, because I knew that they were serious. They yeah. spear me. Anyway, they came to me and they said, we're having a ceremony tonight. There are no women allowed. Um, you are not allowed to leave your house at all for any circumstances. You do not allow, well, not that it was a house, it was sort of like a little hut thing yeah. where, I, where I lived. Anyway, um, so I, you know, did what I was told and stayed inside. But then I could see through the curtain, I could actually see the flames of this big ceremony. They were burning the body, which is sort of like a Hindu ceremony. The body was inside the house of sticks and they ignited it. 
but and they were doing the corroboree which is the clapsticks and the didgeridoos and all that kind of stuff and singing lots of chanting but then I could hear these other voices and like the whole of my window went orange like this big ball of fire kind of like I was in a bushfire came through the window and like I peeked through and all I could see was like a fire and I, I felt safe. I knew it wasn't really a fire. I knew there was something mystical going on because I'd been there enough, long enough to know something. But then I could hear were in Yolongamata, so language words that were not of human voices. How did you know they weren't human voices? I don't know. <laughs> but you just knew. You just had a knowing. It, it, sounded, it sounded really, really different. Right. And I was like, oh, right, right, what do you do with that? I don't know. I just sat on my chair with, because, you know, there wasn't much electricity. I mean, we had electricity, but it sort of went out every now and then. But and I just sat on my lounge just going, right, 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 right. Mm. That was really wild. I don't know, and I still don't know, because I went to ask and nobody, you know. And they wouldn't tell you. Selective talking, <clears throat> they don't tell you. But that's when I thought, these people live it and are pure and true and cute. you know as i as i think about them as you're talking about them as i feel them and tune into them ah, their communication which would seem rude or seem yeah um to to the western mind it would seem like they're dumb or yep. rude or they're not listening yep right it's it's like they're tuning into who you are and they're thinking, why are you asking such a stupid question when you already know? <laughs> yes. Um, I'm not going to answer that question. You can figure it out for yourself because you already know. It's, it's really weird. It's kind of like how my spirit guides talk to me when I ask stupid questions. And they're like, are you serious? You're asking that question? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. We interpret it as, oh, how rude. How rude. Oh, they must be stupid. They didn't understand me. They didn't hear me. No. They didn't understand me. Mm. Interesting, the isn't depth, it? The absolute depth to the interaction. And that's why it's so difficult back in the schools here right. because it needs to be a sensory experience because exactly. all their senses are on. Exactly. They are on. And, and to try and close them down and sit in front of a teacher to do what the teacher it's says all day. torture for them. You know, I think it's torture for the star kids too. It's like my little nephew who's been staying here, you know, he's 16. He doesn't, he didn't do school. And my brother and sister-in-law who are not conscious, don't know how else to call them, don't get it because they're just forcing this kid to comply and he doesn't comply mm. and that's kind of like the aboriginal people you put these kids in school and they don't comply because they just don't they're not connected to the mind the way we are they're connected yes. to everything through their senses they're yeah. one with the land they feel the movement of the earth and it's like you're going to sit there and throw this information on me that i've got to remember yeah. it's just and it's, crazy and it's also because i I realized that, okay, so my normal classroom techniques were just not working. Yeah. And so I realized that it had to be relevant and it had to be experiential. Yeah. A lot of what we teach in a classroom is not relevant. So they don't put it anywhere in their memory banks of exactly. well, what's the point of learning this? That's how so, I felt at school. Like, why do I need to know this? 
what's the point? So I just put the kids in my truck and we'd go hunting for the afternoon. And in there, I had to learn, part of the deal was I had to learn Yolongomakna. So they that, taught me. That's their language? The language, yeah. Say so it I again. Yolongomakna. Yolongomakna. Did I do it okay? Yeah, really good, really well. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It took me ages to get that one. Um, yes, so I, they taught me that, but also then I would also share like basic things like maths and like we played shops while we, after we, you know, caught our big barramundi and it was in the ground oven, you know, while we're waiting for it to cook, we would pretend with, you know, stones, stones and counting and multiplying and all the things that you need out in life, but it's relevant. Mm. So it anchors into your brain somewhere else when it's relevant. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. And it's experiential. So they oh. taught me how to teach. Mm. And then oh. I came back and I taught in, you know, La Perouse and all that kind of stuff back here. But I realised some of the kids didn't have their roots. And this is why the recognition movement is so important because these kids need to have their roots really solid. That means these Aboriginal kids that are living in the city do need to go out bush and resurrect their connection all their senses with nature and get validation, kind of like how I got validation on the mountaintop for that moment. Right. They need the validation of how these senses are working in daily life. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that if you're born into an Aboriginal body, there are some components to that body that come with it that you need to comply with otherwise yes. you're lost and I think that yeah you know when they come into the cities and they try to live um not everyone because obviously there's amazing you know indigenous people who are news anchors and successful oh, yeah, yeah. people and politicians and doing all that stuff but there's something about that connection to the land that's connected probably it is with all of us you know our bodies are connected to the land because our bodies are made of the same components chemical components as the land you know that's so. sort of how i saw it too because mm -hmm. like with i'm just going to say us we are sort of conditioned to be that way in daily life and then what changes is when when i went up there it opened up where in aboriginal kids it was they were already opened up and they had to learn how to be closed down and operate in the white world so it was sort of we've got the same things it's just the where the strength was in that moment in time mm. and how to balance both ways of being mm. in a polite way in our society it's so interesting so you know what you're teaching and what any energy healer teaches is to go back to that way of being it's like a more empathic more sensitive, sensitive. more intuitive more psychic more telepathic yes. way of being which is where we have to go as a human society. We have to go there, which means there's no lying. You can't lie because, exactly. you know, we, our whole society is based on the fact that we can't read each other's thoughts so we can lie to each other. We can yeah. deceive people. We can rip people off. We can smile at them and say, yes, yes, and mean something else. Like, you know, that's how yeah. white society is based. Yeah. I don't think their society is based like that because they know that you, you can feel when someone's not being truthful, right? Absolutely. And it doesn't mean that they're, you know, all Zen and pure and everything. They do no. get angry with each other. And, yeah. we, you know, I was witness to a spear warfare. Yeah. Where I had to hide under the table in the, you know, in the classroom, which wasn't really a classroom, a tin room. Yeah. I had to hide under the, so, you know, 
they were very overt with uh, you. I'm angry with you and I'm angry with you. Well, good. Let's just have a spear at each other and see who, you know, gets to win that one. And then we'll walk away. But it's not the undertone. Everything is upfront. Yeah. And that's very freeing. And it's what you do with the upfrontness. Um, We've got to bridge that one. Bridge that one. So what brought you back to the big smoke? Um. I didn't want to come back. I was very, it's almost like the opposite happened to what I wanted. I I came through a moment where I'd found my belonging place and I was very happy to stay there forevermore. Even though I loved my family in Sydney and I missed them terribly and everything, but I also had found my belonging place. But then my cousin came up to visit me and my cousin uh, was a doctor and I caught up with him and he said, um, Penny, you are green. You have actually turned green. You are very unwell and I think you need to go home. Right. And I went, no, 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 I'm fine. And then in our community, I had a flying doctor that would come in once a week and he would stay in my little room, my little house, because um, it was the only house with that was sort of clean and running water and food yeah. and my kind of stuff. And he, I said, oh, you know, do you think I should head out of here? And he said, you're actually really unwell. You need to go. Yeah. And that's, and we, there was a whole pile of us that left at the same time because we all got sick at the same time and we all basically left at the same time. Right. So yeah. It was like an end of an era. Um, there was a bunch of, you know, us, we call them ballanders or white people. We all left at the same time because we were all pretty crook. So have you been back since? Yes, yes. Yeah. I went back. Um, I went back about two years later because I just missed them terribly, and I just stayed there. And again, I didn't want to come home, but I, I had to come home. Huh. Um, but yes, and I was up there, and it was great. And then um, I went up not last year, the year before, because in the end they were saying to me, you know, you need to get married and you need to have babies and. Uh, this man, he good husband for you, like in language, and huh. he has all his teeth. And I went, oh. <laughs> That's a real winning element, isn't it? All these teeth. Awesome. Thanks so much. Um, I'm probably looking for someone a bit more, you know, aligned than having all these teeth. But anyway, so I said, oh, I'm going to Sydney to get my husband. Just took a while longer. Anyway, I brought my husband back and I went, here, finally. This is him. Oh, you brought him back, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how did he cope with Outback oh, Australia? Oh. Tricky. Oh. And, like, I went to see my sister and you know where she was, my original sister. And I'm like, oh, he's in my doorway, you know, my husband. And Paul was there just going, is that a crocodile leg in that pot? <laughs> oh, it is. Hmm. What are you doing with that crocodile foot? <laughs> and she said, would you like some? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It tastes like chicken. <laughs> and here's some, oh, and we took some kids out to the waterhole. And oh, I said, oh, you can bring some, some nata, some food if you want. And so they bring a kangaroo tail and, you know, oh, and would you like some Paul? Oh, no, thanks. I'm pretty ripe for the kangaroo tail today. Well, thanks so much. I might just have a biscuit. <laughs> oh, biscuit. Oh, my daughter loves kangaroo meat. Anyway, she thinks it's good. I don't eat meat, so I don't know, but she still does. Oh, darling, what so a It was wonderful. And, and, and turning up into the centre of town, because I just drove into town. I didn't tell him, well, you can't tell anyone. I drove into the centre of town and just went, you know, hello, and oh, that was the most beautiful thing that happened because there was a there was a girl there, um, Mumby, and I really wanted to find her, and I found her and I knocked on the door and she didn't answer, and eventually she answered and 
and she cried and she hugged and she kissed and she cried. She goes, Panisha, Panisha. She said, I love you. I love you. She said, I got a computer and you're my name. You're my password on the computer. <laughs> I went, really? After all this time, you still remember me and you have your password on your computer. That's great. Oh, that's so sweet. And they're all now big kids and they were mums and dads themselves. Yeah. That's such a beautiful, oh, it was wonderful. So how long ago was that, Penny, that you went back with your husband? Uh, not last year, the year before. So two thousand. Okay, yeah. Recently. Oh, that's so, so 30, cute. 20 years. 20 years no, later. 30 years. 30 years later. Well, darling, I met you, I must have met you obviously after you came back in the late 90s and then we were living together like in 2000. 2000 yeah, because yeah, that's when I went to see John of God in Brazil. Yeah. I was living with you then, right? Yeah. Marie? And we were both like trying to carve our lives out as healers, well, at least I was, and you were working yeah. as a psychic and a healer doing clearing but working as a carer and oh, how did you integrate all that knowledge into you work working as a carer with like, because I know you used to go, you used to come home with these stories mm. um, of these old men living alone, you know, that probably many of them alcoholics most of their life and they were sick and sort of riddled with uh, cirrhosis of the liver and mm. cancer and, and uh, emphysema because they smoke and drank. And how did you put that knowledge into practice then? I'm... What I learnt was not to take things at face value. Right. And I had, I mean, it sounds awful, but I was a lot more, I was a lot tougher when I came back. So when people were rude to me or when people, when their bit of aggression came my way, I didn't take it personally. Mm. It took me a long time to get over that. But I realised after a couple of being there for two years that it, it wasn't always personal. And so when I work with the people, the old men in squalor who were living in a, you know, dilapidated place that the police had called me to get them out of there, they, they didn't want to leave these old men. So they'd throw bottles at me or throw abuse or their, you know, pizza packets or whatever. There'd be a lot of stuff coming my way. And I didn't take it personally. Mm. And then I had to fine tune what their level was and just put my head around the corner making sure you know there's no more bottles left for them to reach so they can't throw anything else at me mm. so I'd say boy I really want to go to the pub for a beer I need a chaperone you know do you want to come and join me for a beer which I didn't really drink beer but anyway that's what got them in my car yeah so I could actually talk to them at the pub about what was going on for them mm. and then just listen compassionately mm. um, and then in the listening to the story and no time, that's the other thing I learned out there was no time. We're mm. so time constrained here where it was always young all time, which was a feeling. Everything was based on Absolutely. does it feel to start? Does it feel to finish? Absolutely. Does it feel to say something? Does it feel not to? Absolutely. Oh, you know, just thinking at the time now, that's how I feel when I do the shows. Like I try to do an hour show, but then there will be a feeling and it's like, okay, time to wrap it up now. And yeah. sometimes I'll be having so much fun that I don't wrap it up. I just keep talking. Even though I've had, the, I've had the nudge, I've had the feeling without looking at the clock. It's so interesting. Yeah, that time is not 
what's the time on the clock is how does it feel oh I so get that that. yeah Yeah. and I had but I had to learn that I didn't know and no one can tell you that and so you get cranky enough going I told them three o'clock and there's no one here well no one has a watch up there yeah there is yeah. no time. There's yeah. no mon- monitor of time except for nature and the indicators of nature. They're just communicating on a whole different realm, a whole different dimension. It's not, it's not linear time. It's feeling time. I don't know. It's a whole, it's quite beautiful. It's quite beautiful. It's so ancient and yet it's so where we're going as a, you know, yeah. it's so our future. I hope so. Yeah. It I has know. to be. We just can't. You know, what we're doing is white people, the way we're living our lives, we just can't continue it. It's not sustainable. It's just not sustainable what we mm. do, how we live our lives. So we have to have to shift. That's what the grand shift is all about, mm. the ascension. So it's so interesting that we've had these indigenous cultures because it's not just the Aboriginal culture. It's all indigenous no. cultures who live yeah. already live like this. It's there, you know, screaming at us and we're ignoring it. You primitives, you know, with the flies all over your face, sitting in the yes. Eating, eating on a chomping on a, you know, kangaroo leg. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't but, it? And the, the irony is that here was I with flies all over my face, looking a bit like Yahoo Serious, you know, with my hair everywhere because, you know, there's no hairdryer or anything on it. You, and you're chomping away and you're dirty and you just haven't been able to have a shine. That's just the way it is. Yeah. You know, you end up looking like them, but you're not judged because you're white. You're just having a dirty moment, but like where you haven't had a shower. But they're judged for being, you know, dirty and fly blown and don't brush your hair. And it's like, well, the reality is it's a bit tricky to do that and stay clean the whole time when you're living that traditional lifestyle. And who cares anyway? Yeah. Who cares? Who cares? Oh, that's the thing. I mean, I'm caught up with it. We get so caught up with like what we look like. I was talking, I was talking to Robbie Holtz who, whose husband Gary went out, you know, she wrote, two books one called the secrets of aboriginal healing actually when i say she sorry he wrote uh, gary holtz the secrets of aboriginal healing and the secrets of aboriginal awakening and he was a a physicist that was a quadriplegic or paraplegic and he met an australian naturopath in a bar in the states who said you have to go out to arnhem land and meet the elders aboriginal elders and he took himself out there in a wheelchair eight weeks later he walked out and they gave him all their secrets which they said, you're the white man, you're the, you're the one that's going to give our secrets to humanity. Wow. And he wrote it down in these two books. Let me tell you what's going on. So I interviewed Robbie. Robbie is his wife. He met later. She married him. He's since left his body. He hasn't left her, of course, but he's left his body. She still communicates with him. She works as a healer in the States. So a client of mine who became quite famous contacted me and said, you know, I'm now working as a director in the States. And I've been given all this money by uh, Film Australia to make some movies. And I read Robbie's book and I Googled and found your name. And I'm like, oh, I know Karen. You know, I used to go to her as a practitioner. And could you introduce me? And now she's thinking of turning the books into a movie. Fabulous. I know. Maybe we should get you to consult on the movie. I'm just thinking, oh, <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I can yeah. certainly... Because some of the kids in my class were in Yolma Boy, which is a movie up there. So they're all actors in their own right now. Yeah. So if they need actors, there's some really good kids up there. I might connect you anyway. Because she's in the States now. She was an an Aussie, beautiful Aussie girl, came to see me when I was living up on the northern beaches. And she asked about her future. And I 
you know, rather than predicting her future, it wasn't hard to predict her future, actually. I just told her how to create her future, which is what I do, you know, me. And, um, and she did, and she took it and ran with it, and she became really famous and, you know, living the, living the life of Riley. But she's deeply, deeply spiritual, and she wants to use that fame and that recognition yeah. to actually make a difference in the world, yeah. as all my clients do. So, yeah, fascinating. But, uh, so, yeah, the secrets of Aboriginal healing and the secrets of Aboriginal um, awakening are the two books that, that Gary that Gary uh, wrote because they just gave him all the secrets. Yeah. But you know how private they are, right? They are. And you've got to, as I said before, you've got to earn your stripes. So yeah. because they, they may not say anything, they might not even look at you, yeah. but you can feel them feeling you. Yeah. And so they would have felt his um, kind, true heart, but also the intellect that he can wrap it with and the connections that he can offer. I know, a physicist. And, yeah. Yeah, I know. And the validation. So not some, you know, hippie chick that goes up there and gets it, but somebody that has the authenticity to say, well, I'm a physicist and here's a metaphysical aspect to the world. Yeah. So let me ask you, when you were working with the old men, this might help people that, because I know that our generation have a lot of old parents that are all sick and dying. Yeah. I see it. You know, my parents left their bodies years ago, but I see it everywhere. How did you help these <clears throat> old men who were sick and dying transition? Because a lot of them who had led kind of lives that weren't celebrated or, you know, weren't yeah. considered good lives, they maybe drank too much, they maybe, you know, lied mm. too much, they maybe just didn't do great things. And then they've come from some sort of religious indoctrination that says you weren't a good person, you're going to hell and they're scared as anything to die because they think they're going to be judged. How did you help them? Because I, we had this conversation a lot when we were living together. You'd come yeah. back and tell me and I'd be like listening going, wow. Yeah, some of them had religious indoctrination and some of them didn't, but a lot of them were just generally fear, yeah. fearful of crossing over. Yeah. The aloneness, they were frightened of being alone on the other side. Right. They are frightened of not being in control. At least it was a known quantity, this earth life. Mm. But going over there, what what would happen and who who would how would they manage? Um yes, there's also um not feeling connected and supported um to a, a sense of beingness and the beings on the other side. So I, what I learned from dealing with these homeless men is what I actually put into practice when I do house clearing. Mm-hmm. They actually taught me that because it is the now when we can when we say compassionate listening, it's not just listening and nodding and going oh you know oh you poor them. I don't believe that's compassionate listening. Compassionate listening is when you are fully connected with a person and you feel what they are speaking about. Mm. that full and you're silent but you fully feel them and you probably emote to the equal representation of what they are saying Mm -hmm. that is like it's not necessarily transference but it is it's like a you know a duplication it's being made again this feeling of what has been trapped in them now what happens is they can open and let go they can hand over. So their fears are being received and felt 
and therefore they don't have to hold them anymore. Because after these conversations or after them sharing their fears or their concerns, I, I would validate and go, yeah, that is very real. I, I, I really hear you and I understand. But they've also seen me and felt me experiencing their fears and experiencing their trapped emotions or their hopelessness or their helplessness or their aloneness. So you, what you're actually talking about, which is a conversation I had with Greg last week, it's not sympathy, it's empathy. In a true empathic sense where mm -hmm. the energy of the solar plexus and the heart, are your, you extend your chakras. So you, I don't like the word merge, but I suppose that's the only way. You know the movie Avatar mm -hmm. where the guy with the long hair merges with the bird mm -hmm. and then he just psychically controls the bird. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. In right. that moment of let's connection, deep connection integration yes yeah, you, yeah. they're they're handing over you are duplicating it they're releasing it and so they're feeling felt they're feeling received they're feeling the metaphysical nature of their own beingness yeah um they're feeling the energetics of true what love feels like so it's giving them a reference point to love and they didn't have a reference point to love some of these old dudes and so in that, yes, you have to pull yourself back and you have to disconnect later on, mm. but in the moment you are fully connected and so they feel safe to fall into the love to relinquish their control, their fears, their, and they just go on that like a love stream and they can really relax into that and feel safe to then be received by the other loving beings on the other side. Oh, this is so beautiful, Penny, you know, and relevant because <laughs> I... As, as I've talked about, I've got my brother staying with me who's not about to listen to all my crazy metaphysical talk. But there's something that's healing in this empathetic, compassionate yes. thing. Just to, yes. because you can, like the Aboriginals, you can communicate without speaking. So much. Yeah. And this is how you do a clearing too. Yeah. You know when people say, can you get the dead people out of my house? It's like, well, sometimes it's not relevant to get them out of your house. But when we can... Even if I can't hear them, you can actually hold that moment of compassion, knowing that there is somebody there and knowing that they're jammed for any particular reason. It doesn't matter what they're jammed for, why they're jammed in between realities. And you just hold that space for them. And sometimes they'll come and they'll have a full conversation and you can listen and communicate back. Other times you just hold that space and then you feel the whoosh and then that's when you normally, you know, we're most clearing, people who do clearing, they cry afterwards because they know the person's crossed mm -mm. properly. Mm. It can still be around. you just got to cross over that other because there's different degrees of being dead, obviously. Mm. But, and when they've crossed fully into the light, then you don't feel them in the physical sense so much, but you feel them in the love sense or the, or the right. healing sense. Yeah. So in that compassionate space that you're holding, you're lightening the own space, but you're also helping the other people to actually cross in this vortex of, of just softness. No mind, no strategy, no I command you to get lost and all this kind of stuff. Well, good oh, but it doesn't always work because I'll just go and have a cup of tea and come back. <laughs> but the, the compassionate space that you're actually holding is the most profound space. So it is like the depths of understanding beyond our brain of understanding, but the feeling of understanding. It's unconditional love. Mm. 
what you're asking is for us to evoke the feeling of source, the feeling of who we are when we're outside the mind, we're outside the conditioned world, when we're in that unconditional world, which is the world of nature, as we discussed with Greg. Yes. You know, the unconditional world. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. they taught me how to do that. So it was sort of like a stage learning. The, the Yolngu people taught me, in a way, how to not take things personally, how to be, how to listen, how to, to open up to sensing and feeling in a sort of practical way, I suppose. And yeah. then the, the, um, the old people who were in squalor and homeless and on the streets and stuff, they taught me what, they indicated to me what they actually needed right. because the success was the compliance. Yeah. A, the compliance and B, letting go to death. Letting go to death, transitioning, like letting go of their body and their fear and and letting go, yeah, letting go of the stress of living with their, um, ooh, 11-11, letting go of the stress of living with their stressful thoughts, you know, the, the trauma of living with their... Um, their guilt, their, their guilt, remorse, remorse, their shame, shame. incompletions, mm-hmm. all those, you know, natural human things that we all experience and no drama, they're there, it's okay, it's okay. Oh, darling one. Well, you know, I wanted to talk about energy healing a bit more, but we're kind of running out of time just looking at 11-11, getting alignment, alignment. (laughs) But, uh, you know, when we bumped into each other in the supermarket the other day, um, you were talking about the Danteons. I don't even know what they're called. Like, so in my little tribe, Inner Sanctum tribe, we've been talking about, you know, how to flow our energy and be deliberate creators. And we've talked about chakras. And I actually don't talk about chakras much because everybody else does. And I'm like, go listen to somebody else talk about it. But there are so many more energy centers that we can tune into within our own being that we can learn to manipulate. It's not the right word, but learn to be. Enhance. Yeah, enhance in a relationship with, like learn to, like I can move my arm. I'm being deliberate about that. You can do with your energy too. Yes. Yeah. And I think the most important thing for healers, it took me a little while to realize this one, but the most important thing for healers is to actually have a very strong lower dantian or hara. And that is from the Japanese system. All the martial art teachers and all that, they teach you how to have a really good strong hara. Now, it is not a chakra. It is not an elbow or an E or a glute or anything like that. It's actually an energy center deep within the belly. So it's like a little um, soccer ball three fingers below the belly button and two fingers deep. Now, that little ball needs to be really bright and really strong and it holds energy. So it's like a big cauldron or or hot pot of energy. And that needs to be sourced from the earth, from that deep, harmonious frequency of the earth. And it's like that column of, of energy, the Shushumna line or the Hara line, needs to be very connected into that uh, molten core of the earth and you're in one there's a constant flow back and forth from that earth energy up through the central column into that lower dantian so that's now, first protocol let me ask you how does someone express or appear who has a weak hara like what would be symptoms what would be emotions what how would they yep live? lost okay lost. Uh, there are lots of indicators first of all is can't manifest what you need Mm-hmm. Second of all, is in you know bad relationship after bad relationship after bad relationship or no relationship uh, or not what you want. Living in a place that is not aligned with you as well, feeling lost. I just don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't know who I am. I don't know Confused, I am. lost, confused. Always in like 
questioning, searching, help. I don't know. I don't know what to do. Da, da. But also the, because it's magnetics. I really believe, you know, that, you know, that old thing of like attracts like, well, that's all very good and very well. And you can have a thousand mantras to, you know, attract what you want and write it down and send it off to the universe. But unless your hara is good, you're not going to, unless your central column is strong. So from that hara line, you're bringing it up to the thymus area. And that column in there, that line has to be connected and strong and bright as well. Again, if we've had a lot of shame come our way, if we've had a lot of trauma, if we've had some pretty big car accidents or, you know, accidents, or if we've had a lot of general anesthetics or a lot of antibiotics, then sometimes that column between the lower hara or the underneath the belly button and the thymus, that column there, that can get a bit dodgy, get a bit broken or a bit wobbly. And we want that to be really nice and strong. Mm-hmm. So and how, then does we someone, want it to, how does someone present who has a strong hara? What, what are they like? Grounded. Grounded. Grounded, certain. So, I mean, even though it's probably not aligned. Confident. Like, very confident. Like knowing, like um, I need to do that. I can do that. That'll happen. It's fine. No mm. problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Confident. So confident, grounded. Creative, yeah. uh, manifesto, uh, feeling that they are really in the flow of what they love to do and their purpose. And it doesn't mean it's, you know, you're whistling Dixie and all good, thanks very much. There's still challenges, but you feel very much in sync in the but you flow. Can, you can meet those challenges. Like there's a challenge, no problem. I, I can, I'm, I've got this. Hmm. Yeah. It happens. Got yes, yeah. and you're pulling to pe- you're pulling people into your world that are in sync with you and are aligned with what you do and who you're about. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know your health is good. Any back problems tend to sort themselves out. Well, so would you say a weak hara would would manifest as lower back problems as well? Yes, because it can be sometimes just it it can be strong, but it can be not in the right spot. Right. So we need to have it and you find that just by really focusing on it, you, you ask it to, well, you sort of see it in its ideal spot where it is in harmony with the body mm. and it will flow there. It will find its own sort of spot okay. and then you build it and it doesn't always hold. You do need to keep building it. And the same with that light, that the thymus area too, you need to build the light, but you also need to plug in up there. There's like a little PowerPoint that you need to. Yeah, you need to maintain it because we live in a world where we're bombarded, like Esther Hicks would say, this life is determined to show you every aspect of despair. Like we're just bombarded on a daily basis with so many um, dense of vibratory experiences and forces and in so many ways, people's negative thoughts, people's anger, the news, you know, turn on the television, commercials, it's all fear-based. Everything's fear-based. So there is a level of maintenance and not just to maintain your physical being but your energetic being. Absolutely. And you do, I really do believe that you do need vitamins and minerals Mm. and sunlight. We (laughs) do need sunlight. So just before we go, what's an exercise to strengthen your hara? What do we do? Okay. So tuning into that little space, three fingers below your belly button and two fingers deep. So three fingers above your belly button? Below. 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 Three fingers and how many deep? Depends on how fat your belly is. Mine's pretty pretty chunky. (laughs) Just look look for it. Your mind's eye should show you. Mm -hmm. You're finding that. See, you got that? 
Yeah. So, so what are we feeling when we get it? You're feeling the parameters of it. You're feeling almost like the perimeter of this little ball. Okay. And so how, it's about the size ball. of an egg, is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then you're breathing into that. You're just natural focused breathing and you want to build the heat or you want to build the strength. Almost like you're um, putting fire under a cooking pot. Would you flex your um, not necessarily pelvic floor? No, not necessarily. Because that's you what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. And as I flex that pelvic floor, I'm feeling energy rise up through. Great through that area. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when you feel it stronger, then you imagine or you see, if you can, that column of light that goes down deep into the molten core of the earth. And as you really acknowledge that current of energy, you should feel that hara getting warm. Your feet tingling, obviously, but your hara or that region starting, there we go, starting to get warm. And do you keep your focus just in that area or do you bring it up? Bring it up. Well, so right now we want to build the strength in there. Build the it in that area. Voltage. Yeah. yeah. So, once so got... like you imagine a little flicker of a flame, like a fire, it just sort of gets bigger. Yeah, if you want. And, but but fueled by the earth. Fueled by the earth. Does it have a colour? If you like. Some people see it as red and some people see it as gold. Okay. So it's kind of like a fire. It's kind of like a fire. Like the what? molten of the... It's port. the molten, Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you bring that up and you hold that energy. And then again, with your mind's eye, you bring it up through the central column and into your thymus area. Now this becomes just like a white light. So the thymus is uh, just below your neck, right? Yeah, it's like three Like fingers. above your heart, below your neck. Yeah, three fingers yeah. below the little, little um, thing. We call there. it thing, yeah. Mm. So, and you bring it up there. And as that um, column comes up, there that earth energy comes up into this space you feel it actually getting brighter like the sunlight coming through here and that's that's you that's your own natural essence and this and is this is a bit wobbling a lot of western people do you bring it up again up through yes. then up column through. and then connect to the higher chakras or the higher realm not necessarily. No, you like a volcano. Whoosh! <laughs> you can, but the volcano will go through a, like a little funnel. You're bringing this laser line up, and you're literally threading it through a little funnel. Because it's often off kilter, and we want it to be really nice and laser line. We feed it through this funnel fairly high, and then as it comes through, like a threading of a needle, as it comes through this funnel, that's when it goes. Beautiful. Ooh, okay, so how often should we do that on a daily, daily basis? Daily. In the morning, in the connect morning. with the earth, connect, connect with the light. It doesn't take earth. long. And then I come back to the dance and I make a little intention for myself for the mm. day and off we go. Mm -hmm. So does that help people that are really empathic feel a little more stable, let's say stable? Because, you know, the it's thing right. is with all the young, amazing, empathic healers that are around, they get knocked around by, you know, like, oh, I can feel everybody's energy and it's kind of like knocking me out of whack. But if you've got this sort of stable core. Big time. 
Yeah, you feel that, like you can feel people, you can be empathic, but it doesn't sort of affect you. It's like the storm, like you're the center of the storm, right? Absolutely. Because yeah. what happens with empathic people, they become solar plexus dominant because right. it's an empathic nature is an elongated solar plexus where it's kind of like that avatar thing they're merging and meshing with everybody around them right. and so their focus point is just survival and you know some schools of thought is like we'll close it down well you don't feel too good if you close it down or protect it mm. but if your focus area is your hara and you you activate your interactions from there you do your energetic healings from there mm. yes from the heart but the heart comes naturally yes from the solar plexus of empathizing but that comes naturally you'll go to your reference you'll come back to the self place is in the hara and that helps hold your own when yes it's really busy but you've also been really busy working energetically with people all day every day you don't get wiped out well there's no coincidence that martial art and ancient yes. you know have been rabbiting on about the hara for years you know there's this thing on youtube <laughs> there's this thing on youtube of this healer that was interviewed um videoed probably over 20 years ago can't remember what his name and he he could um he had enough control over his hara that he would um ignite yeah he could you know uh, make fire he could you know burn paper he could he would touch people and their muscles would move from the ele but he wasn't emitting electricity he was emitting chi you yeah. know and the scientists came to him and they were trying to with a geiger counter to to sort of measure the chi coming out because he could do all these magical things and they couldn't find any electrical part because it wasn't electricity it was chi yeah. and he was saying i build it in my hara yeah. and he said that there's the masculine and the feminine the thing i can't remember the the one point was masculine one point was feminine like at the base of the body and then in that area and he says i bring those two energies together and build the chi and he was doing all this amazing stuff yeah so that's what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. And in day-to-day -day life, uh, that will hold you when, when life gets busy or you can't find what you want to do or you can't find the right relationship partner or you can't find the right house or you can't, whatever, whatever. Yeah. It, it's a magnetic point as well as a power point. Right. So it is absolutely essential for you for survival and who you are to actually have a strong one of those. Oh, you're brilliant, darling. Just brilliant. <laughs> it's just been such a joy catching up with you again. Look, oh, we've got so many more stories we could share, but I think we might have to wrap it up now. Yeah. Uh, just tell people who are listening to this on iTunes and Stitcher and all those lovely uh, audio podcasts where they can find you. Uh, my website is truefrequency.com.au. And Beautiful. My, my office is in uh, Belmore Road in Randwick. I know, just up the road from yes. me. So cool. And um, so obviously you see private clients and you do energy yes, do work. Skype. Yes. Uh, and you do Skype. Yep. Skype. And um, I have some meditations that you can, oh, there's a lot more coming, but at the moment there's I mean, about four or something. Um, uh, meditations on the drop down box on the website that you can just download. Um, there's a book called Metaphysics of Business that will be coming out soon. There's chakra meditations. There's you know, lots of things that they can download if they want to off the website so, on, and do Skype sessions as well. Oh, beautiful. So, so you do, do you do any of the teaching online for people that like maybe want to learn this rather than having a personal session? 
Maybe um, something to think about. Little webinar. Yes. We can set you up. Now you're on Zoom. Now you <laughs> set you up. Oh, darling one, it's been such a joy. Thank you. Oh, thank you. To see you. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. It's really lovely, Karen. Thank you. Isn't Penny gorgeous? She's just such a joy, such a joy to behold and such an amazing story. Oh, just pinned her down to, um, to get her story in the Awakening Soul series because uh, it's a pretty unique story, right, going out to Arnhem Land and hanging out with the uh, Indigenous Aboriginal, Australian Aboriginals and awakening to her multidimensionality through that experience. Really quite extraordinary. And she's so different. She's so white and freckly and tall and lanky and blonde. It's so funny. So funny. I love that they said that she was uh, couldn't decide to be black or white, so she was both. That's why she came in freckly. <laughs> I always love that. Thanks again for uh, listening to the show. Remember to go out and get the book, Awakened by Death, in the Awakened Soul series. Obviously, 12 stories of um, people's consciousness or spiritual awakening or expanding their multi their awareness. It's really about having more awareness of who we are as multidimensional beings. But we all do that in such a variety of ways. The next book that's coming out is Awakenings and, you know, from a million different ways, not just death. I did the first one on death because that was my awakening and so many people Googling what happens whether you die. And so death is a big conversation in the collective because we've been taught that in the Western world that death is the end of us and that is just so not true. I mean, hello, there's so much more to us than meets the eye, so to speak. So it's been a joy presenting another show for you and uh, join our little inner sanctum, buy the book, do all that good stuff, have a session with me. It's all good. It's all there for you. Thanks again. Bye for now. Okay.